Thank you guys again for making it to Mountain Church today. Uh, We've been doing a series called Reckless. Look at your neighbor and say Reckless. Reckless. It's been a very fun series. Um, We've been talking about how faith is so much more than just uh, the pretty little faith prayers that we make. It's so much more than uh, just believing. It's Faith is actually very reckless sometimes. And before we get really into our message, I did want to announce a couple things to you guys. We, we've been putting on our Instagram stories that we have really exciting news uh, coming up. And we'll talk more about it at the end of service. But I wanted to let you guys know that we are about to do a really, uh, a really exciting and big change in our church. Do you all want to know what it is? Yeah, all right. if y'all don't want to know, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> um, the, the big change that we're going to make, it, it may not seem like a, a necessary change at first glance, but it is, and it's changing our name. Uh, we've been known as Mountain Church for the uh, almost two years now, and usually you wait like 15 years or so to change the name, um, but the reason that we're, we established Mountain church is because God is constantly represented at, uh, as a mountain or on the mountain throughout the Bible. When Moses received the Ten Commandments, it was on Mount Sinai. When Jesus went up to pray, it was always on the mountain. Mountains are uh, such a powerful symbol of a place where we meet God. And even though that, that has really been the foundation for us, um, we, we are going to be changing our name to Gravetop Church. Gravetop Church, and uh, thanks for the woos in the back. And at first, you might think, well, that doesn't sound like a Christian church name. It says it's grave in the word. That's really weird. Um, in fact, it might even be demonic. Who knows? Maybe this church is just really off, and I, I've made the wrong decision by coming here. Um, the reason that we are changing to Gravetop Church uh, starting in 2019 is because we believe in First Corinthians when Paul tells us that our entire faith is based off of the resurrection of Christ and that if there is no resurrection of Christ, then our faith is meaningless. And we believe that this simple fact, the simple truth of putting our entire foundation uh, for our faith in the resurrection of Christ is so powerful that we want to change our entire name to Gravetop, meaning that Jesus is not in the grave, he's not in the tomb. Uh, He's on top of the grave. He's alive. He's resurrected. And the same for all of us. We're not dead, but we're alive. We're alive in Christ. And we stand on top of the grave even after death through the resurrection of Christ. And we we believe this truth so much that we want to put our name uh, at the centerfold to where even if anyone ever asks about why Gravetop, the first conversation is about how powerful the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. And there's another scripture uh, that is in Job that we really like because it has the word grave in it. And it's in uh, chapter uh, 28, verse 33. I might be a little dyslexic, so it might be chapter 33, verse 28. But um, it says that God saved me from the grave and now I live in his glorious light. And uh, with all that being said, uh, we starting in 2019. It's a very exciting moment. Uh, we're still working on different designs and graphics, but we wanted you to be uh, in in the the no and no 
uh, about knowing what's going on with our church. Y'all excited about that big name change? Yeah. Well, what probably Lauren says, uh, and, and we're going to give a, a lot more um, information about it, but, uh, and we're going to talk more at the end of service about it, but I wanted to say it out loud for the podcast. And uh, one, one last thing to just uh, confirm the amazing things that God has been doing in our church. Our church has been about the size of, what, 25 to 30 the last couple months, 20 to 30 more or less. And did you know that this year alone that we've had over 110 salvations from Mountain Church? Isn't that something to praise God about? That's something to praise God about? Just to give a point of reference, there's there's churches that are 500-member churches, and their yearly average is about 80. And you're talking about a church as small as we are, and we've been able to see over 110 people commit their lives to Christ. That's something that, that shows that God is truly doing something in, in the lives of the people connected to this church. And you guys are a part of making that difference. So can, can we give God a hand for using this church? Woo! Well, now getting into the message, someone look at your neighbor and say reckless. Let me read you all a little summary of this series. When you read about the people of faith in the Bible, we are inspired by them. But when you look at the decisions they made in the actual circumstances, we see that they're flat out reckless in their choices. Some would say that they're even foolish. In this series, we're going to analyze what walking in faith really looks like and how to take action without looking back. And I have a question to start our service today, a question that I want you to ask yourself and It's, have you taken any steps of faith that scare you? Have you taken any steps of faith that scare you? Or have the steps of faith you've taken just been the basic steps of faith like, I'm going to try this church out, or (laughs) I'm going to listen to this podcast, or what what is the last step of faith that you've taken that that truly scares you? And we're going to start our message today talk. Uh, called stuck on the water stuck on the water look at your neighbor and say i'm stuck on the water stuck on the water even though we're a very uh, uh forward thinking and modern church we still do traditional things like tell your neighbor this and that so <laughs> we're gonna look at uh the story of peter when he walked on the water and in matthew chapter 14 verse 20 through 22 through 31 I'm going to read the whole scripture and then we're going to uh, go back through and analyze what's really going on. It says, immediately after this, what had just happened was that Jesus fed the 5,000. So they just saw Jesus literally create uh, enough food for thousands of people, even though there's only two fish and some, some bread. It says that Jesus, uh, some say that Jesus multiplied the bread and fish but I like to look at it more so that he completely created new bread and fish because he wanted to give everybody fish stick sandwiches. But anyway, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, someone say meanwhile, The disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, 
and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Maybe a phantom, who knows? But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Very strange request. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified. And began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? So this is a really uh, popular story in the Bible. Peter walking on the water. And there's, a lot, there's hundreds and thousands and millions of messages that have been preached about this specific scripture. But... I hope that today that it's something uh, that gives you a different perspective than even maybe, maybe what you've heard before. I really hope that it's something that deepens your faith, that's meaningful for you. And we're going to break down the scripture today. We're going to look at different, uh, three different segments of this scripture and look at what, uh, what deeper truths might be hidden here in what may seem like an obvious story. We're going to see what might be actually obscure. And so the first point we're going to look at is far from land. Look at your neighbor and say far from land. Far from land. land. In verses 22 through 24, it says immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. What's so interesting about this is we think that the, the faith started when Peter walked on the water. We look at that as like, oh, that's the faith moment when Peter starts walking on the water. But I believe that it's right here that faith is initiated. It's right here because Jesus tells the disciples to go without him. Who are the disciples following? Jesus. The moment that Jesus first called the disciples, he said, come and follow me. And now Jesus is is telling them to go on without him. He said, I'll catch up with you. I've always been so flabbergasted by this statement. How is Jesus going to find them? You're you're not talking about like, I'll call you and see where you're at. He's telling them to go across the lake to where you do not see land anymore. Like to where, go across and I'll meet you on the other side. How is Jesus supposed to get there? How is he supposed to find them? Wouldn't you have some questions like that if I told you, hey, just start walking across the highway and I'll find you. Think about that. You, the first thing you think is, well, how in the world are you going to find me? Where are you going to look? How are you going to search for me? And so this moment where Jesus says, hey, why don't you guys just go on? I'll catch up with you. There's a faith that is required from the disciples to believe that somehow, some way, Jesus is going to get back to them. Because they've already left their entire lives and all of their livelihood to follow Jesus. And so if Jesus just never finds them, 
they just get lost and Jesus just never gets to them, then everything that they've left up to this point would be meaningless. It would have all been for nothing. But they're willing to just trust God and trust Jesus that he is going to get to them. Even though Jesus is saying, go away from me right now. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And what, what, what this shows is that real faith is actually simple obedience. A lot of times we think that faith is like seeing a miracle right away. Like I have the faith to see the dead rise. I have the faith to pray for someone and then start walking. I have the, the faith to pray for a lottery ticket to win and it will happen. We, that, that's what we envision faith to be, to see a miracle. But here we see that real faith is just really being obedient to what you believe God is telling you to do. And each individual here has moments where they felt like God told them to do something, not necessarily glorious, like going across the lake. That doesn't seem that fantastic, but you feel like God just told you to do something almost really simple, but it's still intimidating. See, that's where faith begins. It doesn't start at a huge monument. It starts with just a little seed. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it, sa- it goes on to say that after sending them home, he went up to the, into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. See, it's the moment that you are far away from the land. What is the land? It's a place of comfortability. It's a place where you know what's happening. You know how the land is not going to move. It's not like an ocean that goes up and down. The land is going to stay the same. See, the land represents that comfortable spot of what you're used to. And it's a moment that, that I, I feel like right here in this moment, the moment that everything just went from like kind of like nervous to horrible, where the storm came, is the moment that they couldn't see the land anymore. <laughs> It's like that one moment, have you ever had a week or a day where you're like, man, the worst thing that could possibly happen now is this. (laughs) I always think when I'm driving on the highway, whenever I'm driving like right next to an 18-wheeler, and my wife hates it when I say this out loud, and I think, man, that would just really suck if that that tire blew out. (laughs) That tire that's like as tall as a car, and you just look over like, man, that would just, (laughs) that would probably do some damage to us right now. That would... That would be horrible. That would be the worst time ever for it to blow out. And I guess I shouldn't say that out loud with my wife in the car because she gets really scared when I say stuff like that. But it's the comfortability that you're used to is when the storms come. It's not at the beginning where you can still turn back. I feel like if they could have still seen, saw the land, they'd be like, all right, let's just go back and we'll wait for Jesus over here. We'll just go back and tell Jesus, hey, it got way too crazy out there. We couldn't go on. We're going to just wait for you to finish up. It was a moment where they couldn't turn back. They didn't know which way was what. And that's what faith really does to us. When you make that simple step of obedience, and you're like, all right, well, I just, God, I'm, imagine that this can just be a rainbow that makes this, this trip and 
meaningful and pretty and I'm going to see the sunset as we go and it's going to be just like, oh, good thing we just did this. It all worked out. <laughs> it was beautiful. No, in fact, everything bad happens and you, and you go back thinking like, oh my gosh, why did I do this? And it's the moment you think and that's when the worst time for something happens. But perhaps, perhaps when those storms come and you think this is just horrible, what if, uh, what if it's your past experiences that prepared you for the storm that you're going through in that, that point? Because remember, these disciples, they're fishermen. They're experienced fishermen. They, this isn't their first time at sea. And with their experience, I believe it's, it's that very reason why they were afloat as long as they were. Because it says that the storm was so bad that they were terrified. I mean, that's like your first time driving on the highway. You've been a little scared, right? When, you're, when you first got your license, you're like, okay, like, all right. You're going 40, maybe 35. Everyone else is zooming past you and you're shaking at the wheel. Maybe the first time you started driving the car and you pulled up next to an 18-wheeler and you're like, oh my gosh. You're trying to stay in your, your lane. You're nervous. But after you had some experience on the road, you're zooming past everybody. You're cutting 18-wheelers off. You don't care. Your experience prepares you for the road. And see, what if right here, what if God knew that that storm was going to come, but the reason he said, hey, you guys are going to be able to make it was because he knew their experience on the water was going to help them stay afloat long enough. What if the moment that you feel like I can't do this anymore, everybody else would have said that 10 years ago. They would have given up a long time before you would have given up. But because of your experience, God says, no, he's got this. She's got this. Maybe, just maybe, God will use your past to prepare you for your future. Just maybe. And what's so interesting about this verse is that they felt so alone. They're crying out, thinking, God, why did you leave us out here? Jesus, why aren't you here? What's so interesting about that part of the story, hoping that Jesus would just show up already, it says that Jesus went up to the mountain to pray. Who do you think Jesus was praying for? The disciples. He's constantly praying for the disciples. Every time he went up to the mountain, he was praying for the disciples. So what that shows us is that God is preparing to rescue you. You just can't see it. God has already been, he's already knows that he's preparing and getting everything ready for that rescue. And even though you feel like in the moment you can't see anything going on and it feels like you're just alone, God's over there praying up a helicopter to come save you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? There's not ever a moment where God's like, oh shoot, I forgot about them on the water. I thought I just had extra time to come up and take a nap on the mountain. No, he, I mean, it, it says like almost before every miracle, Jesus goes up to pray to, to prepare for those miracles. 
Did y'all notice that in the New Testament? Every time a big miracle happens, it said that Jesus just got done praying. So he's literally preparing, getting ready to walk on the water to them in a supernatural way. Let's go to the next point. If it's really you. Someone say, if it's really you. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Just right there. (laughs) Three o'clock in the morning. You know when that is? That's just before daybreak. That's, That's in the last hour of the night. See, I feel like God does that a lot. The very last possible moment he shows up. You ever felt like that? You know, there's a story. uh, I knew a young girl back in high school and she had taken a bunch of pills to kill herself. And there's a moment right before it was past the point of being too late where she told me that she had a vision of Jesus coming to her, telling her that she loved him, that he loved her, that he didn't want her to die, that her life was meaningful. And even though anyone could say, well, you take that many pills, you'll see anything. It was at that moment of time where she decided to go and tell her family what she had done. And they took her to the hospital and they were able to save her life. And I think that it's so meaningful to know that even at the last moments, Jesus will show up and say, hey, it's going to be all right. Jesus will come in. And even though we sometimes ruin our own lives by our own decisions, Jesus still comes and says, hey, you don't have to do this. I'm here with you. Even though you felt like I wasn't, I was here. And God shows up not only in the last moment, but in a way that we really don't expect. Walking on the water. No one expected that. Maybe like a, like a cruise ship. Like That's what we want is God to just show up on a cruise ship and say, Hey, grab this line. We'll, we'll tug you into the shore. But Jesus just shows up walking on the water. Think about how is that going to help first off? <laughs> Hey, don't worry, guys. I'm going to get in the boat that's going down with (laughs) y'all. How's that going to change anything? He comes in a way that we really don't expect. And maybe there's times where we we expect God to come down on a cloud and and just show us like, here I am, child. (laughs) I've heard thou prayers. And behold, (laughs) come hither. (laughs) That's the way we want. We imagine God to show us. But it's always in a way that we don't expect. Maybe it's from dr- some drunk homeless person that comes up to you and says something about God that you really weren't expecting. <laughs> Maybe it's through a text of someone that, that usually annoys you, but this one text they send to you actually encourages you. Whatever it is, it's usually in a way that we don't expect. And it's usually in a moment... Thought we feel like, all right, there's no going back. It's all over. It's that last moment. Goes on and says, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. 
I said it's a fan- maybe it's a phantom earlier because Danny Phantom, he's a phantom. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. You know, we become so used to the storms that our fears and doubts often reject the first sign of God showing up. The moment that God shows up, we think it's another curse. <laughs> it's like that, just that simple analogy I gave a second ago that maybe God will use a drunk homeless person to come up to you to, to show you his goodness. But the first thought you have of a drunk homeless person coming up is like, oh, crap. <laughs> He's about to ask me for money. Oh, man, I don't want to talk to this person right now. See, we... We often take those first signs of something good and imagine it to be bad. We're just pessimistic people, aren't we? Maybe even just being invited to church for the first time, you're like, oh, I really don't want to keep that obligation. But then you show up anyway and you realize what you thought was an annoying curse was actually an amazing blessing. Think, man, I'm so glad I showed up today. Even though you were annoyed with the person that invited you. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We're so ready to be negative about every little thing that comes up that we miss out on what's truly good in front of us. And this, this call that they make, is that you? Is it really you? That, that's really what we're all asked This part where it says, Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. We we all doubt God's original call for our life. We we constantly think back. The moment we're, we're going through the storms, we forget when Jesus first told us to go out. We call out to God, God, did you really tell me to do this? You start thinking about the times you ever had those moments where you knew You knew in your heart that God had really spoken to you. You knew that God had really touched your heart. But then a couple months later, a couple years later, you look back and think, man, that was just my emotions. I I was wrong. I was just, that was just my own ambition. I just felt guilty. That's why I, I felt that way. That's why I thought that. You start doubting God's original call over your life. Start doubting his original love that he showed you. And you start doubting what he has already said to you. And you say, guys, that, was that really you? And those doubts and those fears convince you that something that was miraculous at the beginning was something just ordinary. Do you know that, that that's always been the devil's tricks? To convince us that something special was really just ordinary? We see it in Egypt... When Moses was performing miracles, the magicians came and said, no, we can do that too. This is something ordinary. Anybody can do this with a little magic. And they copied the miracles, the miraculous, to make it seem like it was just ordinary. When even in Adam and Eve, Eve said, God spoke to us. Said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. And the devil says, did God really tell you that? Did God really say it like that? No, that was just... That was just your thoughts. That was just your emotions. God didn't really say that. You won't die. We, 
We take what God originally said and we allow those fears and those doubts to convince us as just ordinary. I've heard of people tell me before, talking about, you know, when people feel the presence of God, it's like, oh, I got goosebumps. (laughs) I feel something different. I feel God's presence. And then later you just start thinking, well, maybe that was the air conditioning. (laughs) I've had people say, on the claims that people said, man, I just felt like the fire of the Holy Spirit in my chest. I said, man, they just turned the heater on. <laughs> That's what that is. They just change it during worship because you feel like something's different. Some crazy claims. And then you start doubting yourself like, man, did they really do that? <laughs> Maybe I was, just, I was just extra emotional that day. Doubting what God has really done. This part where it says, Peter tells him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. This is a really reckless thing. It's a really dumb thing. Really think about it. A storm is going on. All the disciples are, are trying to pull their weight and holding the mass and doing all boat things. You know, go to the bow. <laughs> go to the stern of the boat. <laughs> I don't know boating terms. Drop anchor. (laughs) They're shouting all kinds of stuff. And Peter just stops for a second, sees Jesus, hears him. And everyone is like, you know, freaking out, but still working. And Peter, as as foolish and reckless and dumb as he is for his faith, he says, Jesus, is that really you? You know what, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. Tell you, Thomas right now is like, idiot. (laughs) The disciples are like, man, what is he doing? Tell Jesus to stop all this. Don't tell him. You don't need to go out to him on the water. And all the other disciples, they're just looking at Peter like, why would you want to do that right now with this storm going on? Why don't you wait till the storm passes over and then you can try to walk on water or whatever. But what Peter shows us is that faith beckons greater faith. The faith that originally was obeyed When Jesus said, go out on the water, go out on the water because of Peter's obedience to that small act of faith, it beckoned a greater act of faith before it was just go out on the water in the middle of nowhere where you haven't boated before. And now it turns into come and walk on the water in the place that's unknown in the middle of the storm. That's a much greater ending than it was at the start. And what it shows us is that so many times we think, well, whenever God tells me to do something big, then I'll listen. I mean, then I'll know that it's God. But often God doesn't send those kind of commands to us because we can't even obey the simple ones like driving out to the middle of the water or going to church. You think, well, I'll obey God, but we can't even like get there every week. Y'all dig what I'm saying? If we can't obey the small things, how are we going to ever be ready for the big ones? And when we take those small acts of faith, all of a sudden, before you know it, you're taking leaps and, and miles in your faith, while before it was just little baby steps. You're just taking steps before, but now you're doing marathons of faith. Faith starts at giving on an impulse of yourself. 
You ever have a moment of faith where you felt like you had something and you, it was, you felt compelled to give it to somebody else? I remember the first time God told me to, to give someone something. It was, it was me and my wife's bed. <laughs> we had just gotten married. I really felt like God told us to give our bed away to this person. And I, I, as you can imagine, I struggled with that thought. But I really felt like I heard God and I gave our bed away. And I believed what I thought faith at the time was. Faith is believing for a Tempur-Pedic mattress in return. You sow and receive, right? You invest in the kingdom of God and you get a hundredfold. That's what we were taught. We never got, <laughs> we never got a Tempur-Pedic mattress showing up on our door with a note that said, God told us to give this to you. <laughs> but we did expect it. <laughs> and I remember the, those first moments of, of giving, it was almost like an impulse. It's like out of a, an emotional impulse. And there, there was months that we were sleeping on the floor and we moved to the couch that was a sectional, and so whenever we'd sleep on it, it would separate on the tile overnight. And it was also too short for me, so I had to put a folding chair at the end of the couch so that my feet could rest on it. And at those moments, I thought the same thing as these disciples. God, did you really tell me to do that? No, I just feel foolish. I feel like I made a reckless decision out of impulse. And see, that's what those first steps of faith feel like impulse but then as you take those steps on impulse then they become planned out steps of faith here now we see peter saying he's planning a a distant walk to jesus he's saying he's not the jesus isn't the one having to initiate the faith anymore the creativity and the free will of peter is saying god i could see this possible through you and he doesn't need to be told what to do every second all of a sudden, he's, he's told, it, he, he gives the request of faith, and God says, yes, let it be so. Your faith develops as you practice it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Someone say, walking on the water. This is the last point. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. I think this part is so interesting because we see that Peter starts his walk of faith. He starts this walk. And I feel like this is so powerful in so many different ways. We can look at this walk that he's taking so many different ways. You can look at it as a step of faith of something that you're believing for within your faith. You could also look at it as your whole faith in general in God. Often we start walking towards God. And there's a moment where all the winds and waves start to beat against us. And it's this moment that we're stuck in the middle. I think that's the hardest part of life is being stuck in the middle. Where you're in a part, he's in a part of the water where he's walked 
away from the boat so much that he couldn't just jump back in. And he's also not where Jesus is at. (laughs) He's in the middle alone with no lifeline, no help. And a lot of people think that he starts to sink because he lost sight of Jesus. He stopped looking at Jesus. That's why he started to sink. He started looking at the winds and the waves. And he lost sight of Jesus. I think that's all bogus. Because I bet you the whole time he wasn't even looking at Jesus. Imagine if you were walking on the water, what would you be looking at? You'd be looking, oh my God. Mom, look. You'd be looking all around you. Remember, there's a storm going on so great that these experienced fishermen are, are believing that they're going to drown and die in this water because the boat is about to capsize. And so this dude is walking in the midst of a storm. It's not like all of a sudden there's a, a clear path of flat water with no wind against it. You're, you're talking about water and waves are crashing into him. Wind is blowing against him. I mean, you ever stand... With a strong gust of wind, what is your face like? Whoa! <laughs> You're like feeling how, I wonder if this wind can blow me back. <laughs> I believe that Peter the whole time was looking at the crazy waves. He was looking at how powerful the wind was. He was looking at his feet thinking, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I bet there was a point where he wasn't even looking at Jesus for a from the moment he started walking on the water. And the point that he began to sink was the moment that he stopped walking. It wasn't the moment that he stopped looking at Jesus, like I said. I think it was the moment that he stopped walking. Because there's so many of us that we're walking this line of faith and there's a point where we start doubting and start looking at how powerful this wind is, how how crazy these waves are. And we, we're walking at one point, but then we stop thinking, I don't know if I could keep walking. Do you ever think that? I don't know if I can really keep going like this. Man, have I had some moments like that. I know you guys have. Whether it's just life, work, family, church, your faith in general, you... You don't even know how to utter words in your prayer because you're so stressed out. You don't know what to do with yourself. There's a moment where you just kind of give up and you stop walking. And you think, God, you're going to have to do something right now. And I'm not moving anymore until you do. We think like that. God, if this is really you here, then you're going to have to step in like now. I'm not moving anymore maybe you just get so terrified you become stagnant in your career and your life and your faith you you totally zone out with your kids with your family with your parents and you just start coasting because you're you're just waiting for something glorious to happen to you because you feel like it should have happened already you ever feel like that at work you start to hate your job so much That you just go into autopilot. You're not really trying anymore at work. You're just trying to get through the day. And then all of a sudden days turn into weeks. And weeks turn into months. And you look back and think, man, nothing has changed 
still. And you're hoping and praying that somehow a miracle job would fall at your feet. And you're praying, God, will you just send me a better job, a different kind of life than this? I don't want to do this forever. And you wait and you wait and you wait. Nothing happens. I feel like this is what it was for Peter at this moment. Where he stopped walking. Where he stopped trying. And he started doubting where he was in life. Because he couldn't see the boat anymore. Bet he couldn't even see Jesus with all those winds and waves. And he thought, man, this was a giant mistake. I don't even know where Jesus is. What if it was really just a ghost? Bet he had thoughts like that. Man, this wasn't really Jesus. I can't believe I listened to a ghoul, a ghost on the water. I'm an idiot. And that is when he started to sink. In this part right here where it, it says that the winds and waves, you know, a lot of times we think that they were just happening around him. But if you've ever been to the beach, waves pound against you, right? You ever, when you ever go when you're a kid and you try to jump the wave or something, or you either jump the wave or you see how, how heavy it's going to be when it crashes over you. But you know that once that wave hits you, no matter what, it's going to take you somewhere. Because it's so powerful, it's so strong. And we think that Peter only sees the wind and the waves. you got to understand, these waves are beating against him. This wind is rushing over him. I bet he's losing his balance standing on two feet. He feels everything. He's not just looking at everything going on. And that's what it's like for us. That's what it's like for you. You feel every wave hitting you. And it's like one after another. I was talking to some of the guys this morning. I was like, yeah, I felt like that this, mor- uh, this weekend. Where it's like the, the, I thought, man, the worst thing that could happen now is my car breakdown. <laughs> my car broke down. <laughs> It's like at those moments where you feel everything and something that was just a normal experience before as a kid with the wave hitting you, all of a sudden becomes a a life just beating against you, not letting up. Before it was something that that almost you could do any other day, but now it's something that's drowning you. That's what these waves and winds are really like. And this part is where we're going to end. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I've heard so many preachings talk about this part, about how we need to just keep believing. That's why Peter, John, he doubted the Lord. I don't know why every church I've been to sounds like a country accent, but (laughs) that's what we've been taught is that this is a part where Peter just simply doubted Jesus. Well, I, I don't think Jesus was talking like that. Why did you doubt me? I don't think it was like that. It's Peter's doubt wasn't that he couldn't continue to walk on water. It, it was the doubt of Jesus saving him once he sank. There's a point where he thought as he was sinking, God's not going to pull me out of this. That was his doubt. He had plenty of faith. He freaking walked on water. 
Peter's filled with faith. He did some of the most reckless things we've ever seen in the Bible. You know how strong Peter's faith is? That when, they, when he was martyred and they were going to crucify him, he said, crucify me upside down. <laughs> I don't want to even die like Jesus died because he's so great. What a lunatic. <laughs> I think at that point, any one of us would have just been fine being crucified normal. <laughs> at all. Peter is so crazy in his faith, so ridiculous. It says, no, 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 no. Crucify me upside down. I don't care. <laughs> right here, it's not that Peter doubts the power of Jesus. It's the it's fact that he doubts Jesus' willingness to save him. And when Jesus says, why did you doubt me? It wasn't, why did you doubt me giving you the ability to walk on water? He didn't doubt that. He walked on the water. It was, it was more like a question of, did you really think I was going to let you down? It, why would you doubt me like that? Did you really think I wasn't going to help you? Why would you think that? And I think Jesus was saying it just, like, just in the same way, like a life. Like, you really think I was going to let you drown like that? <laughs> of course not, man. I got your back. You ever have a moment like that with the, someone close to you, a family member? And you tell man, I didn't think you were going to help me. Well, are you serious? You really think I would let you go out like that? You, you call someone and you're like, man, my... <laughs> I'm, I'm using a lot of car references. My car broke down, man. I don't know who else to call. And then they're like, oh, man, I'll be right there. And you think, man, I, just, I didn't think anyone would come. And they say, man, are you, are you kidding me? You really don't think that I would show up for you? That's what Jesus is saying. You really think I would just let you drown? That's what, now it makes a lot more sense with all of the prayers that we make. Because that's a question that's the doubt that all of us have with God. We started this walk and now it feels like we're sinking. And we think, man, God's not going to pull me out of this. God's not going to pull me out of this one. And Jesus is telling you today, do you really think that I'd be willing to die for you on the cross, but I wouldn't be willing to save you from this situation? That I would love you that much, but I wouldn't step in for this. Why would you doubt me like that? And I want everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're here today, and that's been the, the question, the thought in your mind about God, and you're ready to tell Jesus, man, I... I believe you, God. I trust you. I'm, I'm ready to continue to walk this out knowing that no matter where I go, the moment I sink, I know that you're going to pull me up. If you want to maybe make a decision today, maybe for the first time, and make a decision to trust Jesus like that, and you haven't done that before, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. 
If you rose your hand, or if you wanted to, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. If you've already put your trust in Christ, I want you to repeat this prayer too as a reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you'll pull me out of this. I know that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the dead. Be the savior of my life. Be my Lord and help me to trust you. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. You are the way. You are the truth. And you are my life now. In Jesus' name, amen.